Who do you want to be as a leader? What are the blind spots you're missing? If you had a magic wand and you could change anything about your workplace, what would you do with it? These are the kinds of questions we explore on Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt. I'm a keynote speaker, emotional intelligence coach, and leadership trainer who partners with executives and emerging leaders who want to achieve extraordinary results for themselves and their organizations. You're in the right place if you're ready to cultivate the self-awareness to be the leader you were born to be. Let's go on this journey together. Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt, and as always, excited for another fabulous, fabulous guest. And today we are going to be speaking with Tara Robertson, who is a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant and leadership coach. She analyzes qualitative and quantitative HR data to to diagnose where companies' biggest diversity and inclusion issues are and works with internal stakeholders to co-design interventions based on research, best practices, and experience about what actually moves the needle. She also helps women of color in corporate careers go from underestimated and overworked to unapologetic and wildly successful. Welcome to the show, Tara. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to have this conversation. And I I think what's going to be most difficult for me is to try to not talk to you for three hours, because I think we could go into so many different topics. Uh, But as a starting point, Tara, I would love for you to give the audience a little bit more information on your journey. What got you to the work that you're currently doing in the world? Yeah, so right now I'm a coach and a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant. I've been doing that for the last almost two years. Um, Before that, I worked um, internally at a tech company as the global DEI lead. Before that, I was an academic librarian for 12 years. And before that, I did some other jobs as well. So I've had kind of a weird and wonderful career, but I think like if you were to draw like a Venn diagram, the overlap, it, it all be about people. Yes, yes, yeah. And so I, I, you you do so much incredible work on the in the DEI space. And if for anybody who is just meeting Tara Robertson for the first time today, I suggest you immediately go follow her on LinkedIn because one of the things I was just telling Tara offline before we started speaking is that you do such a phenomenal job of just first of all, finding amazing research data, articles, content that helps to spark really wonderful conversation and dialogue and and even your perspective and and the questions you ask around it. I just, I think it gets people to take a step back, maybe look at things a little bit differently. And really from my perspective, contributing on LinkedIn, because I think sometimes I'm like, ah, do I want to be on LinkedIn today? Because there's a lot of noise on LinkedIn. And I would say you're such a wonderful thought leader in terms of really opening up great conversations. Thank you so much. Um, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. So I'm glad my like the, the thing I'm trying to do is actually happening for you. Um, I think as a librarian and as someone who's worked in the DEI field for almost 15 years, like I do take a research and data-driven approach. So I've got my own digital library that I've built of all, of, all the research and reports that I've been reading. And these are problems that everyone, every company, every country, every industry, every organization is struggling with. Like, it, I don't think anyone has DEI solved and it's fixed and they're done. 
So the more that we can share information, share what's working and also share what's not working, I think we can move forward together faster. And that's a wonderful place I'd love to start with you with what you just said there. When we think about in the DEI space, what's what's really working and what's not working, because I think there's, um, and you, you again do a great job of talking about some of these ways that it's performative and it's checkbox exercises. Um, I'm sure that's going to be some of the stuff you're, t- you're speaking to, but you can start wherever you want if you want to talk through what's going with what you think is being done well and you'd like to see more of, or what are you noticing, perhaps even having the right intentions but where people are not necessarily doing this the way that would be the most beneficial. Not sure if this is an answer the first or the second part, but strategy is so important. Um, And what I see some organizations doing is standing up employee resource groups or a program or um, an initiative without having an overarching strategy. So I think anything that we do, there there needs to be a strategy. We need to have a plan. We need to know where we're going. We need to be aligned on the direction, um, especially in larger organizations. So if there isn't a strategy and your organization is standing up stuff, like maybe now it's time to just kind of pause for a moment and, and imagine like, where do we want to be in five years or 10 years? Yeah. And not just on the HR side, like definitely who's at the table and who's in an organization really impacts the work that gets done. And I'm kind of over the business case these days. Like someone was like, how do we know we're not lowering the bar? And I'm like, I don't want to have that conversation anymore. Like you can Google, like there's lots of research out there and there's lots of information. Like for me, it's the right thing to do. And like, it's Wednesday. Um, in two days, it's um, the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation in Canada. It's the second time that this this day has been marked. Like, I don't want to research or talk about like, is this important? Like, it absolutely is, and we need to do the work. So, what is the strategy? Because we have strategies for things that we think are important. Yeah, we measure things that matter, and then we get to work. So the way that some companies approach DEI baffles me. Like for a marketing strategy, you wouldn't ask for volunteers across the company who are really passionate about marketing and they'd come together as a volunteer committee once a month with no budget. Or um, on your finance side, you wouldn't just ask people who are really keen about numbers. Like, no, you would hire experts. You would have a strategy. You would measure the things that matter. And it would be a core part of your business or organizational strategy. So I, I, I'm a strategist, so I guess it's not surprising that I say strategy is the, the most important thing, yeah. but I think it really is. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think that, again, that goes back to the intentions, right? There could be really good intentions around what you're trying to do with the organization, but if you're not coming up with a very clear strategy around, I like where you went too. It's not even just like, okay, strategy and what are those actions going to look like, but what's the bigger picture here of what you're trying to accomplish? What's that vision and then how you're going to get there. And I think when I hear people talking about DEI work where, you know, they're doing the systemic changes, they realize like it's, it's, that vision is going to be like continuously, constantly growing and evolving because this work is never done, right? Like it's, but it's getting clear around what those specific goals are for now. And, and then having a strategy around that. And and, and I've, I've heard this a lot too, with, with ERG groups is from a couple of different people who have been involved in them, that when things start to get 
a little bit heated where there's some uncomfortable stuff in one company, they're like, Oh, it's getting to be a little bit much now. So then the, the group just got shut down. I mean, really like, what is that doing now? And number two, like, why is it their responsibility to be the experts on that? Like, why are you not putting resources into people that that's their expertise to be able to help and educate around what that looks like and tactical things that they've already done. And they have the experience in doing it. Mm -hmm. I think also like that, that strategy, it should be high level enough. So yeah, you can apply it to your people processes, to the whole employee life cycle, how you're hiring, how you're promoting and what the experience is like when people leave and what you're doing with that data to understand who's leaving and why, but also through your marketing department, through how you do procurement, where you do your banking, um, the business partners you have, um, where you take a political stance and where you don't. And most importantly, the products and services that you're offering to the world. And, and so, sometimes it's not obvious. Right, like, right. That's, that's the that's the that's the strategy piece. Like, what does it mean for our company in 2022 to want to be an anti-racist organization? How does that impact where we market and how we the visuals and the storytelling that we do? And what does that look like for where we're going to geographically roll out our programs first? Like, I don't know the answers, but um, those are the questions to be asking. Well, and it sounds like with the work that you get to do, they're bringing you in to be that person who's coming from a wonderful place from curiosity as well, to be asking a lot of these questions that they might not even be thinking to even ask themselves. Yeah. And I guess similar to coaching, sometimes I hear things and I have to say the hard truth and be like, like I'm calling bullshit on that. Like that, that's not, it's not authentic. It's not real. And what you're saying and what you're doing, there's not, it doesn't match up. So those are uncomfortable conversations, but we also need to be honest about those things too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when you think about the DEI work, cause I, I just get a feel for it, knowing you Tara, like, yes, this is needed and this is important, but there's also your hearts in this as well. Like what, what attracted you so much from a, um, a heart perspective around this work? I think it's around belonging. Like, I'm mixed race and queer. Um, my mom's Japanese Canadian and my dad's of Scottish and Irish descent. I was born here in Vancouver, but I grew up in Prince George. So there weren't a lot of kids who looked like me. Or actually there were people who, um, we might look similar, but we have very different backgrounds. Um, and being queer up North is like, it's a lot better now, but it was really scary when I was, when I was a teenager, like there was bullying. So I felt that exclusion and I know what it's like to move through systems that weren't designed for people like me and that feeling sucks. Mm -hmm. So it's like, let, let's fix that. Mm -hmm. And a lot of, I think every single one of us has felt like we belonged at some point. And we've also felt like we didn't belong, mm -hmm. whether that's when we joined a new company, joined a new sports team, moved to a new neighborhood, traveled somewhere, started at a new church, like, and that feeling of belonging, of not belonging or being an outsider is really lonely and it sucks. So I don't want people to feel like that. Yeah. I don't think anyone does. No, no. And I'm curious for you, um, Tara, what did that look like? Like, what did you uh, use to access for supports when you would have been feeling like that and not necessarily, um, it didn't look the same in terms of education and conversations that like we're having now, they weren't happening back then. So how did you support yourself? 
Oh, did I? Um, I did a lot of sports. So, and I, I did really well at school. So I had different communities where maybe I was an outsider, but I was also an insider as well and had social capital. Um, I think I resourced like from my body and my brain sometimes mm. like learning. I remember actually when I was about 15, like reading some feminist texts and just having that model to understand power and power and gender, like, like it blew my mind and it helped me make sense of what I was experiencing in my family or at school and just, yeah, having that lens to see power, like that really, it made me feel like I wasn't crazy. And like what I was experiencing was like, it was a thing, like someone had written about it. It was in a book. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, almost as I'm hearing you say that, it kind of makes sense that you gravitated towards um, the li- librarian and reading and analysts, all this kind of stuff, because you you figured out, okay, well, there's a way if I see the knowledge, I, I, I pull in all the information, I have something to make sense of and explain because we're meeting making machines, right? Like we need to understand like, well, why, why is this and what's going on? It, um, it kind of makes sense that you gravitated to that in that way, because it was something that was perhaps somewhat of a lifeline at a time where things were somewhat difficult. Yes. And um, what hooked me into librarianship wasn't because I love books, but mm-hmm. access to information was so important to me. And the public library is one of the few places where anyone in society can freely access information and knowledge. And then I started learning about like the different power systems that are in classification systems, like Mm. the decimal system that we remembered from school or the library of Congress classification system that is used in universities. Like it's sort of, at first we were just taught like, this is how it is, but it's actually a system that codifies power. Like Christianity has this huge range in the Dewey decimal system and all other religions have this tiny little bit. Our own universe has a lot of space attached to it and other universes just a little bit. So again, we see like who is in power, who is the dominant power and how are they building the systems to reflect their lived realities? Wow. That's really fascinating when you look at it that way. Again, there's these things that are just happening. You don't really necessarily take a step back and ask yourself. It brought me back to elementary school when we were talking about the Dewey Decimal System and all that. You don't really, I I haven't ever taken a step back to say like, yeah, who is deciding all? I think of it from a classroom perspective, right? It's like when I look back and think about, oh, it's so interesting how that was positioned and how I I saw and how they talked about this thing. And now I look at it, I'm like, oh, very interesting how, but I never thought about even everything that's on the bookshelves that we're even getting access to is all, um, there are people who are controlling that. And right now, like in the US, things are kind of scary for, especially for trans people and trans youth, like erosion of queer and trans human rights is happening right now. And we're seeing this um, in schools and books are getting banned. Um, even the like the ideas that like kind of the power that I had, it's like, I'm not sure what it's like to, to, to exist in Prince George. I don't see anyone else like me, but there's a book. So I know that there's other people out here and these ideas were all I find like adults are, are cutting that off for trans youth. And that just, it breaks my heart. Like I want those kids to be safe um 
to imagine like wild futures for themselves where they can do anything. And I want them to grow up to be adults and elders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know. I mean, so much that's been going on over there is, is, is heartbreaking. And I, I use the word, sometimes it's heartbreaking and sometimes it's anger, <laughs> like very, very angry, <laughs> depending on the day, <laughs> the time of day, what's coming out of that. Um, and I, I don't know the answer. I think it's multi-leveled and, and complicated. What, what, what would you like to see more of in order for some of that change to happen? I guess when I ask that question, I ask globally, right? I mean, there's some differences in the US and Canada and then other parts of the world on that particular, in, in that particular piece, what do you think the solution is? Like, how do we, cause you're very good at creating bridges and thinking mm-hmm. about like, how do we invite in conversation to help um, change the, the perceptions and the way these things, cause we know control always comes from fear, right? What are you, what do you think are some of the ways that we can combat that? Wow. That is a big question. I don't know the answer to the big question. I'd have to think about that. Um, it's funny in the background, I just hear a garbage truck backing up. So I'm like, (laughs) all good. We like like real life. (laughs) Um, what I'm seeing though, is communities and communities like not of kids, but of adults, especially in the U.S., reaching out to queer and trans communities in Canada and being like, we need to we need to make an exit plan or we need to exit now. Like, can you help us research what the employment opportunities are like in Toronto or how much is housing in Vancouver or we live in Ohio? Like, yeah. do we want to live in Alberta? Like, so right. I see that ha- those conversations happening on Slack channels and like individuals reaching out to other queer and trans folks and people kind of reaching out a hand. So there is that bridge building about information. Yeah. I yeah. see documents and people documenting as they are um, immigrating to Canada or to other places, like leaving breadcrumbs for other people. Like this was my path. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think community is always a, a, a big piece. So people know I'm not alone. Like here's where I can turn to, to at least talk to other people who are having some of the same experiences and how can we support one another and, you know, figure out what some possible solutions might be. And I always think community yeah. is such a big part of that like it's such a big, big solution. Um, Cause back then when you were in school, you probably couldn't be like, Oh, I could just go to this community. Like there's all these different communities out there that I know I can talk to them around these things that, that I'm, I'm feeling or experiencing. I think there's at least there's been a lot of movement in that direction. I, I picked up this book yesterday. It's not out yet. It's called the future is disabled prophecies, mm-hmm. love notes and warning songs. Mm-hmm. And I just, I've just paged through a little bit, but um, the author talks about how people with disabilities and disabled communities, like in very, like not big numbers, but like small groups of people kept each other safe and kept each other alive during COVID. And I think it is that interdependence and how we look out for each other, how we share information and resources and also like how we collectively dream together because I don't know about you but like right now with climate change we had um tropical storms on the east coast of Canada it looks like something is about to land in Florida today like that's a result of climate change 
and the amount of violence, like gun violence, um, the amount of racial injustice, the amount of injustice, like we are, and the economy, like there's some big unprecedented issues all stacked up right now. And I think we need to collectively dream the future that we want because this isn't it. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I think in some ways, uh, I mean, not when we were in lockdown and we couldn't leave our houses, um, but once we got to, to the point where we could have, you know, small groups of people, I, I just really noticed our community coming more together and even on our street, like we had them so that all of the different kids were all part of, I'm forgetting of the word now that we were called when we had to go in our circles. Do you remember what the word was when you could have your, I've forgotten, I've like blocked was it, it out. Pod? Yeah, it was pod or something. I'm just going to use the word yeah. pod, um, but our pods so that, you know, all the kids could all be around each other and they're running around and playing outside. Cause I think their mental well-being is, is so important, but I think it reminded all of us how we're so wired for human connection and, and community community and being there for one another and checking in. Cause I don't know about you, but for, for us, sometimes in the suburbs, it, it got to a point sometimes where like, you might not see your neighbors for like weeks or months at a time. And, um, and we need to be there for one another and be checking in and, and seeing what's going on. And, and like you said, I think we're all, we're all really wired for that. And when we're all thinking about these things together, we can dream much bigger, right? We the, the co-created, the co-created ideas and creativity and all of that gets so much bigger when we're all doing it together. And there's still some people who are being very, very careful because they're immunocompromised or, yes. um, they can't take the risk of an exposure. So mm. my world's much bigger right now, but I'm reminded by some people online that theirs is not. So yes. I think collectively we also learned like non-disabled majority society learn from disabled communities around how we get on Zoom together, how we start to gather in different ways. And I'm such a huge fan of Priya Parker's work yeah. on the art of gathering and mm. Like she described this wedding um, where the tradition was, I think, to drink whiskey or something or to drink bourbon. And it was a Zoom wedding, but the the people getting married asked everyone joining to just have a little glass of bourbon with them. Yeah. And like the ways that we can kind of create rituals and create space together to connect and to just be or to do hard and exciting things together. Like... Mm-hmm. It's pretty amazing. Like the the last two years have really shifted what's possible in my mind. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when you think, I I love when you're talking about that sense of belonging and we we bring it back to workplaces, um, what, what, what do you think that looks like? Like, what would you like to see more of in organizations in terms of creating that sense of belonging? Yeah, it's funny. I'm, I'm thinking about, um, when I when I was um, in house, I thought I was coaching, and really I was just giving advice. I wish I had the coaching skills that I do now, and could time travel back. And when I was working with leaders, like it was all very much in the head, like um, supported. It was mostly white leaders. Um, and when George Floyd was murdered, everyone was horrified and shocked, and leaders really kind of woke up and wanted to like be better leaders and 
lead anti-racist organizations. But I think a lot of that is stopped in the head. People have read the books. They've gone to a webinar. They're approaching it completely from a headspace. Um, and we need to engage our hearts. Mm-hmm. We need to engage our spirits and our bodies. Like mm-hmm. our bodies give us messages when things are not okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Very good. Or at- our body is, tells us like, oh, like I'm worried I'm going to say the wrong thing. So like, how do we notice that? How do we resource and how do we move to action anyways? I mean, what you're saying is so important and it really is the work that, that I do in, and, and I referring to it as emotional intelligence and mindfulness, but really it is, it's dropping down and it's not an either or, right. It's not like you're not going to yeah. use your head serves you in lots of wonderful ways. And it also can work against you in many, many ways. And I, I think that whole dropping down and embodying and getting clear about like who you're being, not just what you're doing. Um, we're human beings, not human doings and, and, and embodying and just really getting clear about who we are and our values and how we want to show up in the world. Um, but again, I, I talk a lot about too, like people have lost touch with the way their body is getting their attention because they're so used to leading from the neck up. Right. And so when it's trying to get their attention, they're not even noticing, like, it's interesting that when I'm working with a lot of leaders who are quite linear thinkers, and when I start asking them like, yeah, what does it feel like in your body when something's really like a yes? And like, I don't know. I I don't even know the answer to that question. And then when they start to actually, okay, now I'm actually going to pay attention and watching for that. They start to notice, oh, wow. Like I didn't realize the ways that I would get goosebumps or my heart would get really warm, or I would notice these different things, or when something didn't felt off and even different versions of off, right? Cause we hear sometimes when we talk about in your gut, but a lot of people don't actually feel it in their gut. They might actually know it's like, Oh, I get this like throbbing headache when it feels off. Like our body is very, very good at getting our attention. I just think for a lot of people, they have forgotten, or maybe we're ne- never even taught from the beginning, um, how to actually t- tune into and pay attention to those cues. I'm one of those people like I over and I still override like it's a work in progress. It's like, wow. And some of the things my body tells me are like things that I don't necessarily want to hear. Like, it's like, get up from the computer. Like you can't do eight meetings zoom back to back. Like, no, we're not doing that. It's like, but I scheduled this. <laughs> so stepping back and thinking like, how, what do I need to do to structure? How do I need to structure my work? So there's space for my body and that there's time and a pause for me to listen to it. And, and maybe even take care of it. Right. It's like, we have this, like this vessel that we're using all day long and your body's like, hi, hi there. I need a little bit of rest. I need a little bit of TLC right now. Can we, and it's like, no, I got a plow through. I got my eight meetings. I need to keep moving. And it's like, hello, Tara. Like I'm here helping support you every day to do all of that stuff. Maybe we could pause and give this part of you a little bit of love. And we're thirsty. Please give us some water. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, I, I personally, with a lot of the leaders that I work with are high achievers and high performers and they're go, go, go. And they're used to plowing through at the expense of sometimes at the expense of their health, at the expense of significant others, at the expense of people they care about, because that 
addiction to productivity and feeling like they need to be producing and getting stuff done. Um, and I know you, you do a lot of work with this, with coaching too, and identifying some of those saboteurs or those behavior patterns that can be working against them. There's almost this mentality that they're, well, I, I can't take a break because I need to keep on. And sometimes coming from a very good place, like Tara, like you care about this work. It's really important to you. But if you're lying on a bed because you're physically exhausted, then that's not going to actually allow you to do this important work that you want to do in the world. Yeah. I love how you say it's like, it's not an either or like, it's just, it's been so powerful in my coaching journey, getting clear on my values, um, getting clear on my life's purpose and listening to like what my heart is saying, what my body is saying. And it's, it's not like I'm shutting my brain off and just going all with the heart. Like, but it's like bringing, these are all important kinds of data. Like, why wouldn't we listen to all of this data kind of similar to the consulting that I do. Like, why wouldn't you look at your employee engagement yeah. survey through the lens of like demographics? Like, don't you want to know where women are having a different experience from men and non-binary people? Like, don't you want to know that? Like, mm. aren't you curious? Mm. Mm. Like, aren't you curious about what your heart has to say right now? Or like what your spirit brings to this conversation? Yes. Like, I am. Like, I want to know. <laughs> yes. And I feel like that's why the work's so transformative, because I think those times that you're doing that for them is a reminder of doing it for yourself as well. Right. Those times where you might realize like, oh, maybe I was too much in my head there and I need to drop down and, and think about this and, and bring in both of them. And when you're reflecting that back to them all the time, it's a beautiful reminder for you to always remember that, too, and be embodying it. Absolutely. I'm finding um, my coach flagged that this might happen, but like, you really have to do your own work as well. Like, uh, and for me, that means going to therapy. It means spending time with my friends. It also means working out regularly to take care of my body um, so that my brain works well too. And the things that I am working on in my life, like sometimes they come up like one, two, three with three different clients on the same day. And it's like, okay, like, I'm probably the right coach for them in the moment. And it's a good reminder for me. It's like, okay, you're on the right track Keep going. Yes. Yes. It's so interesting. This work. It is. And I, I, and I think there's even times where like, there's no accidents, right? Like there, there, there's a reason why that particular thing ended up showing up in coaching. That's reminding you of something. And um, which is what's so amazing uh, around coaching. Cause when you're doing transformational work with them, you can't help but be transformed and ways on the journey with them. And I don't know about you, but um, I mean, the inspiration that I feel as I see clients like leaning into possibilities and showing up even more powerfully as leaders in the world, I'm like, oh, reminder to you, girl, like you need to be going out there and doing that same thing, like recognizing those ways. I, I know there's still so much conditioning. I mean, um, there's been many, 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 many years of conditioning. It's not like I just say, oh, I'm done with that. Like, I don't want any of those stories or narratives anymore. It still comes back in the most surprising ways. Uh, and some of it even just unconscious. And then all of a sudden I'm like, what, what was driving that behavior? Oh, I see. I see this pattern here. There's another, another pattern for to be, to get curious about over here again. Can I ask you a question? Mm-hmm. Like I know storytelling is your jam. Um, 
like what, what's your story right now? Oh, I love it. I love in the moment. I'm like, what is here? Uh, I mean, if I, I think about my story is around continuously uh, stepping into the fullest expression of my leadership and that constantly evolves. Right. It constantly evolves. Like, what does that look like? And, and for me, that's sometimes saying yes to something that might be scary, that there's some ambiguity and I don't know how it all looks. And because it's very easy to get comfortable in certain areas and you're like, oh, I know this one. I can stay here for a while. And then something else comes over here and you think, oh, I, I like it, but it's a little bit scary. And I don't know exactly. Oh, I, I know it. I feel a little bit scared, but it's still going to be a yes. And I don't know how this is all going to play out. I've gone to the place uh, and I realize now that I have very strong intuition and it's always been there, um, but I trust it more and more and more. And so I say yes, without needing to know how it's all going to play out. And there's this understanding that there's something much bigger than me happening here. And there's a reason where I've been called in to do this work and we will co-create something very magical here. And I trust that. I love this story. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for asking. It's I haven't really said it out loud in that way before. And I wanted to thank you because you post really great stuff on LinkedIn as well. I'm looking down at my phone and you're put your phone in the in the drawer challenge on Sunday. Like that's really inspired me. Not sure if I'm quite ready to put my phone away on a Sunday, but I'm like, it's made me think about, you know, just how how tethered I am to this device and right. how much mindful bleep, 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 scroll, scroll, scroll that I'm doing instead of like, you know, just waving or breathing or looking at the color of the sky. Like I'm down here looking on my phone. Right. Right. And, and, and I love with what you just said, cause I had several people even message me like, I, I like the challenge, but like that whole day, it's not, I'm like, oh, that's okay. Bite size, bite size. And so I have, I have someone who said I, I can commit to a half day, not a full day. Great. Go for it. I think sometimes it's just even building up to it. I, I've been doing digital detoxes for, I, I'd say like five years or whatever, like something three or five years throughout the month. So then I got, I built up to that point where now doing a whole Sunday and, and the people who, who I care a lot about and, you know, parents and family where there could be emergencies, like they all know, like the phone's nowhere near me. So if there's an emergency, like you have to call the landline, or if somebody didn't have a landline these days, I would say like, you have to call this person to get them to get me. Cause I'm literally like, that's how strict I am with it. Um, but the thing that's so beautiful is like, you get to just decide what your version is. Even if that version is like committing to two hours on the weekend and putting it in the drawer uh, for, for people who don't know the whole thing. Um, Cause now we're just talking about it. So I had said um, I started in September on Sundays doing tech free Sundays. And for me, tech free Sundays looks like on Saturday night, I put my phone in the drawer and I don't touch it until Monday morning. I take it back out. And what I recognized when I was doing that is, oh my gosh, like it, it, I was so refreshed that it literally feels like I've gone on vacation because my mind it just needs a rest from all of the stimulation. Not there's so many levels to it. It's everything that's going on to, in social media is whole one whole thing there. But even just checking texts, checking emails, googling something, all of that. There's there's tons of stimulation that happens. And so when my mind and and um, and I just got a chance to have a, a break like that, 
oh my gosh, like the, because now you're forced, like even those times where you might've gone to pick up the phone, like, oh, it's not there. It's not possible. What can I do now? Like I have a whole 24 hours of a day. It just opened up so many possibilities. What's possible? Like, what have you been doing with your time when you go to reach for the phone and oh, it's Sunday. It's not there. Yes. Yeah. What have you been doing instead? I mean, what I have loved the most that I've noticed is I am more patient and more present for my kids. Like my, my, my son is very imaginative and he has, he has stories. He's nine and they're very long stories. Like if he's talking about his dream, it might take 15 minutes to work through even 20 minutes of all of the details for the dream. I don't feel rushed. Like I I don't need him to rush through the dream. He can share all of the details for the dream. Right. So it's just, there's mindfulness has always been very important to me, but it feels like another level of presence of just being very present for the humans in front of me and present for what's happening around, like noticing the leaves moving outside in a different way, noticing the breeze in a different way. Uh, you know, walking around somewhere and noticing something in my house that I was like, Oh, I never really noticed that element in my house. Right. It's just, it feels like mindfulness amplified, which is a lot of times what we're trying to do with meditation as well, which is training our brain to quiet it and allow ourselves to be fully present. And I think it's just giving me a a gift every week to be able to do that. And it doesn't mean that I'm not going to do on other days, but it feels like, again, you're building that muscle. So that I I don't really feel the same desire. Like right now, my phone is up. I have like up high on a a shelf over there. I probably will look at my phone once during my workday, once or twice, maybe. Hmm. I'm just looking down. My phone is like right under where my hand (laughs) is. I'm like, oh, that's a choice to put it there. Where else could I put it? Hmm. Even at one point I had it in a different room. Now it's, I've actually found that having it over there is just the same as being in another room. But then when I actually do need it, I don't have to walk this far. So it's like a convenience factor. Uh, But yeah, see, there we go. I love it. Tara, some possibilities are showing up right now. Well, and though that seed got planted in my mind from what you shared. So Mm. thank you. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for asking questions. I love it. Um, This time is goes by so quickly. I want to give you an opportunity to um, two things before we get into your final thoughts and whatever's showing up for you. Uh, the, the the podcast is called Inspirational Leadership because to me that is about leaders who are being very conscious around who they're being. And mm-hmm. to me, it's to be called a leader is it, 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 it's it's a responsibility and there's a uh, it's not the same as being a manager and managing people. And so I'm curious from your perspective, what does inspirational leadership look like to you? Ooh. The the word that keeps coming to mind and I'm like trying to push it away to be like, let's find other words. And it's like, no, it's courage. Mm. Um, so courage to take a stand for what's important to speak up for what's right. Um, courage to say the hard thing courage to witness Mm. witness people's magnificence witness their struggle witness their growth 
And I think courage, the Latin root links to heart. So it's, there's the heart and like empathy. And of course there's part of the head, but it is bringing that love for humanity and for people to, to how you lead and how you be. Mm -hmm. I love that. I almost want to just end it there because I just think it's so beautiful. But however, we could, uh, we could, but I also want you to be able to um, be in the driver's seat and that I always like to give my guests the opportunity, whatever is on your mind, if you could leave this, whatever's showing up for you in this moment, what would you like to say? What do you, what's on your mind as a final thought? This feels like a bit of a jump, but I'm I'm thinking about um, the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, and I'm thinking about anti-racism, like and feeling it like deep in my body. Um, I think learning is so important, and the learning needs to move to action. So I'd encourage and challenge anyone who's listening right now, like what is the one action that you're going to take today? Um to disrupt like racist behaviors or racist thoughts um, or racist actions, either in yourself or with others. And how can you, like, how can you do that? And how will you do that? I think that's a great question to leave. Really important. Tara, where can people learn more about you and your work? Um, I post on LinkedIn Monday to Friday. Um, Would love it if you would follow me on LinkedIn. Um, that's probably the, the best place, but you can also find me on my website, tarabrobertson.ca. Mm, amazing. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Um, this was delightful. Mm, yeah. My, my heart feels very full right now. <laughs> my heart. <laughs> and to everybody, wherever you are in the world, we're saying good morning, good afternoon, good evening, sending tons of love. Bye-bye. Please remember that meaningful change requires space and grace. Practice self-compassion and become the ripple. As you transform yourself, you transform your workplace and the people around you.